Right, good morning everybody. How are you doing? Yes. Cool. We haven't met. My name is Max. So glad that uh, you could be here with us this morning. And uh, I hope that you find this to be a valuable time. Um, I want to just kind of, uh, I guess, orient us. Kind of what what is this year? What has God been highlighting to us this year? And I think there's a, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the world. And I'm, particularly this week, I've felt myself being pulled in multiple directions and lots of emotions and lots of things um, going on. But if I kind of stand back and say, okay, God, what are you doing with us in liberty? To me, it seems very clear um, that God kind of has us in a season where he wants us to um, recalibrate, to orient ourselves, to analyze, to be able to, to look back, to stand back and, and look and say, okay, God, what matters? Where's my life going? What are we, what are we doing? Call it, call it recalibration if you want to. Maybe I'm going to mix metaphors. We're going to try a couple of metaphors and see what sticks. Um, kind of like the, the tides coming in and going out. And so as a season where this is kind of a, a coming in and, and we need to look, we need to gather ourselves, we need to say, God, what if, where do you want me? What in my life can, do, do you want me to put down, to lay down? What in my life, if I look at it and go, ooh, that's not producing what I was wanting it to produce. What can we change? Just kind of like Jesus would often call, basically, withdraw. Go be by himself in the wilderness, pray, spend time with her, and then he'd go out. And then he'd come back and go out. And it's, it's that sort of that rhythm that I think Jesus set us an example. such a helpful rhythm. So there's times when we need to be looking and analyzing and calibrating and drawing on God and making sure that we're building our lives on the rock and actually doing what He wants us to do. And then from that place, we go out in strength. We go out being filled. We go out with our feet planted. We go out with good vision. We go out with good perspective. And then we come back. And then we go out and we come back. And so I, I think that is part of what God is doing now is, is the time of we're, we're coming in and we're analyzing and calibrating and fixing it testing and checking. Um, if, if I just think to last Sunday and some of the contributions that people brought, and I, I hope I have these contributions right, forgive me if I misunderstood, but from some of the things I can remember, Celia having a, a picture of being in that inner secret garden with Jesus, and from that place getting those custom-made shoes and then going out. But you cannot be effective until you've been with Jesus. Yeah. And then you get the shoes and, and then we're going out. Sharon having a picture of Dirty water being filtered. It's that season, that time of looking and filtering and pulling out the things that are maybe contaminating our water, contaminating our life, so that we can go out in purity, go out in a way that can refresh people, go out and, and offer something to the world. Um, Jan, I, I think, you know, talking about Jesus' parable of, of calling people to the feast, and we're invited to be with Jesus. We're invited to be part of that, that wedding feast. But the guy who didn't have the proper wedding clothes on, you have no right to be here. And sometimes we need to look at what, what is our clothing? What, what, am I, what am I bringing to the party? Am I, am I coming to the party with my own, on my own terms? Or am I coming to God with, okay, I'm putting on what you have. I'm engaging with you in, in your way. I need having a picture of being amazed and, and actually needing to look up and see Jesus in that place. And that's where we get to, I guess, find our place that we're, we're able to navigate um, 
our lives. Charlie shared a scripture about being saved by grace. And this is a gift from God. It's not your own doing. And sometimes to realize, wow, I've been striving and I'm trying to do this on my own. I'm trying to make this happen. And it's heavy and it's a burden and it's a pressure. And to go, actually, there's freedom here. I'm just lay this stuff down. I'm going to stop trying to make this happen in my own way. And so it's a season where we get to come in and, and fix our attention onto Jesus so that we can go out and do what he's called us to do. And so I think that's what God is doing. It seems to me that those are the, the threads pulled together. And, and so even as we sort of prayed and, and planned for the year, what, God, what are you saying? What, what should we be preaching on? What should we be teaching? What he wants us to, to look at and to emphasize? Um, and so we really felt for the next eight weeks, we want to be spending time coming back to the basics of the faith, right? What do we... Believe. And I think that's part of the, the coming in to make sure, okay, these are the essentials. This this is on what this is what I stand on. Is this really impacting my life? Is this really changing me? Is my life really geared towards these things? And do some recalibration, do some, some some adjusting, and then we go out from from that place. So what is it that we genuinely believe? What are the non-negotiables for us? As Christians, so I think there's a there's a number of ways that we can approach this. And so what we're going to do is I'd love for us to look at the Apostles' Creed. Well, the Apostles' Creed uh, was not written by the apostles, but around about fourth century A.D. Uh, this was a creed that was being used by the church. That was a summary of the core doctrines. And uh, yes, there's a lot of history in there, and, and if you're you know, into the history stuff, I'm, I'm sure that you, you know a lot of the, the context there and some pros and cons, but ultimately, um, that Apostles' Creed was used by Christians to say, we want to make sure that we're sticking to the decisions. We want to make sure that we're not deviating, we're not being uh, pushed by the culture, we're not being pushed by personality, we're not being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. These are the basics and the essentials on which we stand. Yeah. And what's lovely about those is that we get to find a lot of unity with other churches. We may disagree on many things, but by and large, the church for almost 2,000 years have all agreed on these essential basics. Even after the Reformation, and there was some weird stuff that the church was doing, and people were looking at the scripture saying, yay. We're not doing what the scriptures say. Even then, Protestants, Christians looked at the Apostles' Creed and said, yeah, that still stands. This is still what we hold as essential. Now, I know in, in charismatic circles, uh, we've moved away from liturgy. Um, so liturgy being some of those sort of prescribed forms of public worship. Now we're going to read this, now we're going to say this, now you stand, now you sit, and these are the sequences. We've sort of moved away from it, but I think one of the things that we've also moved away from is sometimes we miss out on some of the richness that can come from it. Now, I'm not advocating that we go back to liturgy, but not at all, but I do want us to take a fresh look at the Apostles' Creed, understanding that there's so much that we can learn from this. There's a fresh perspective. In my 30-something years of being in the church, I've heard the Apostles' Creed spoken about once. And so, to have any have a different way of hearing things can sometimes bring that, oh yes, there's a freshness to it. And, 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 and we can sort of look at it from there. So, um, 
Uh, if you want to meet in a moment, I'm going to send out a little WhatsApp message to everyone. So ladies group, ladies group, if you're not on those groups and someone next to you got it, you can say like, hey, just send that off to me. Um, and so I would love for us to read it together. I'd love to, I can go get your photo, right? That's good. Um, uh, I want to invite you to read it aloud with me. And if you're not comfortable reading it aloud, then just, you know, read it there. And just a quick little sidebar. There's one little line, one little statement sort of towards the end that, that reads, I believe in a holy Catholic church. Now, we've got a bit of a translation or a, a, a word meaning problem here. We don't mean the Roman Catholic church, right? We're not going Pope by it. So that, that word Catholic in its old original kind of form actually means wider, greater, broader, or universal. So when we believe in the holy Catholic church, what we're saying is we believe in the broader, greater, wider church. All believers across time and space that belong to Jesus, we believe that we form a part of that. And I think that's kind of part of the statement. So, um, so if that's a little bit weird for you, uh, it's just it's a meaning um, translation kind of a, a difference there. So, Apostles' Creed, I'm hoping that you've got it on your phone. Please feel free um, to read it with me or say aloud. You can't do it, so we'll read it slowly so we'll kind of together, um, but this is a cool way of me not monologuing and everyone having a part to play this morning. Alright, so, Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now I wonder as you read that if there are things in there that you're like, oh, do I believe that? I wonder if you're like, oh yes, I believe that. And so this is a, an opportunity for us over the next eight weeks to pull out eight things here and for us just to spend a little bit of time doubling down. And it's, a, it's an invitation and it's an opportunity for us to end the, the week, the weeks ahead, to be able to look at some of these things and say, oh, I don't know about this. Or... No, I believe that, but I'm, I'm pretty thin on what I understand by it. And so it's an opportunity to dig deeper. But more than that, it's an opportunity for us to say, if I really believe this, is it shaping my life? If I really believe this, is it causing a change? Am I gearing myself towards this, or am I not? Is this changing the way I go out, or is it not? And that's what I really would like for us in the next eight weeks. Am I building my life on the rock? Or am I knowing the theory of the rock? But my house is actually on the sand. So today we're going to be looking at the first belief. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Okay, so 20 minutes. <laughs> that's not sufficient. 20 weeks. It's still not sufficient. I know that. So I want to make a bit of a start. And I want to invite you to, to go and look at this further. Um, 
So, can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3? It's a nice chunky section, 15 verses. So, I'm going to ask Kelvin to come up and read that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. You can get your eyes on it, that would be very helpful. If you'd ask me, the copy was written back to the others. Okay, cool. Let's, let's go. I've got the title. I'm reading from the NIV, and it's the title Moses in the Burning Bush. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian. And he fled the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses did his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites. Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a lot of Ites there. And now the cry of the Israelites has, has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to Israelites, to the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are going to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent, you, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So, thanks, God. Shameless marketing, you know. Um, we, we are in a culture where I think, as much as it is supposedly secular, many people today would say, oh, no, I, I, I believe in God. But what do you mean when you say, I believe in God? And I think very often you might hear people saying, well, I prefer to think of God like this. I prefer to think of God like that. But we just don't operate like that in real life. 
can't say, I, I prefer to think of today as a little bit cool. I prefer winter. It doesn't matter what you think you would like the day to be. It's hot. <laughs> if, if Luke says, you know, I prefer to think of Matt as more of a, you know, sort of an accountant type. I prefer to think of him as, you know, more of a sort of a sensitive kind of a guy, but that's not me. It doesn't matter what Luke would like to think of me as, yeah. this is me. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. And so it's very difficult. We, we just can't say, I prefer to think of God more like this, but God is. And he comes on his terms, and we need to know who this God is. Otherwise, he's purely the God of our imagination. If we say we believe in God, then who is this God? Now, it's going to take us an eternity to figure out that we don't know him. It's, there's so much of him. How can we possibly do this? But I think this is an amazing passage of Scripture, where God reveals aspects of himself that we need to put into our oh, metaphor. I want to say we need to put it into our pipe and smoke it. But not, that's, that's, but you, you need to deal with it. What, you, what will you do with this God where he says, this is who I am? What will we do? We cannot go away and say, you know, I prefer God more to be like this. No, this is God. What will we do? So I think the central metaphor in this passage is one of fire. God chooses to reveal himself, in this case, in fire. Why? I think it's important. So I want to ask you a question. Opportunity for me to hear your voice. What is your experience of fire? Just sure. What is, what is your experience of fire? Anyone? Warmth. Dangerous. Where's Marius? Hey, fire. What's your experience of fire? Majestic. It burns. It burns. Right. So Marius is a volunteer firefighter, so he's been in the scary fire. Majestic. Burns away unnecessary things. Okay. Or even things that we feel unnecessary. It's gone. It's gone. It consumes. A source of energy. And so fire is one of those things where it's good and bad. Isn't it? Well, that's interesting. Sorry? Purifies. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay, so from this passage, when God reveals himself in fire, I think it's genius that he reveals himself like that. Because there's so much that we can learn about him. Now, I'm going to pull out just three aspects. Only three, heaps more. How much fun would it be to do this at Life Group? That Life Group starts this week. Hey? I thought there would be more people excited. Okay. <laughs> but that means the last four Wednesdays would be good. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Great. Great. Alright, so three things I want to put out. Number one, God is huge. He is category breaking huge. Number two, God wants to be known. And number three, he cannot be known. But he can. That's it. He's huge. Category breaking. He wants to be known, but he can't be known. But, but he can. Okay, right. So God is, God is huge. God reveals himself as fire in the bush. But notice that the bush doesn't burn up. So it's not normal fire. There's something different about this fire. The fire is normally, fire is dependent on fuel. When the fuel is gone, what happens to the fire? It's gone. 
This fire is not dependent on fuel. It has the power of its own being within it. It is self-sustaining. And God reveals himself to Moses in the name I am who I am. And it's that Hebrew word Yahweh, which is very similar to the verb to be. Who are you? I am. Huh? Right? Being itself has met with Moses. Existence itself has met with Moses. No beginning, no end, no cause. He just always was am, and he will always be amen. Right? God is self-existent. A very small analogy for this, but perhaps you've read a really good book or watched an amazing movie, and, and, and the writer has done such a good job that at some point you suddenly realize nothing is what it seems. Now, do you know those books where you can read the whole book again with this fresh perspective and go, whoa. Right? So I'm going to reveal my little nerdy science, I'm sorry, inside of me. And one of my favorite movies is Interstellar. And it's, I know some people are like, that movie's dumb. Okay, cool. But it, it gets to a point where you suddenly realize we've entered into a fourth dimension of time. And so your whole brain has no categories for this. Like nothing we've experienced can sort of grasp what's going on. And it changes everything. And you lie on your bed the whole night, going, that means this and what. You watch the whole movie again, and you're like, oh, I see. But you still get to the end of it, going, oh, it's category breaking. There's something about God revealing himself here where it's just, I am, has sent you. Moses must have just, what? And so there is a, there is a category breaking hugeness to God, where we realize God is existence itself. And from Him comes existence and end and sustaining power. Now this, this is a doctrine that's totally worth looking at some more. Because it should have implications for us. I think, number one, it's, it's very humbling. But it's also very freeing. Because if you feel that you are a self-made person, I've worked hard, I've studied hard, I've achieved this, I've done this, I've worked extremely hard, and here's the evidence, here's the fruit, here's the thing, nothing you have came to you without the one who created it, giving it to you. Yeah. Nothing you have has its sustenance by you. It is sustained by God and in God and from God. It's so humbling. But at the same time, it's wonderfully freeing because you can feel the weight of, I need to sustain this. I need to make this happen. I need to get these things done. And if I don't, things are going to fall apart. And you can feel things falling apart. And you've got to Work, 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 and you feel that pressure, and there is a sense in which we go to God and go, you are the one who sustains. So if, if business is rocking or if business is stressful, God is an. How does your business fit into that? How does your marriage fit into that? How do your kids fit into that? There is a degree to which we come to God who is I am. And we need to, that aspect of our lives needs to find its place in this God. It's encouraging and freeing and humbling at the same time.
time. We could go on, but I'm, I'm just going to move on to the next point. Number two, God wants to be known. So we have this huge, category-breaking God. Who wants to be known? And he reveals himself in a burning bush. And Moses turns aside. He says, I want to have a look at this. And God is a God who wants to be noticed by us. And he wants us to turn aside and to come to him. That's good. If he didn't want to be known, could you know No. No, we couldn't. And so, God is a God who lets us see him. But God is also a God of experience. Fire is not something you know just theoretically. Fire is very much experiential. You see fire. You feel fire. You can hear that fire crackling and burning. You can smell that fire. It's deeply experiential. If your cooking is not great, you can taste fire as well. Right? It is my cooking. It's experiential. And so God's not just the God of theory. He's saying, can you see me? Can you feel me? Can you smell me? Can you taste? Can you experience me? The psalmist writes and says, taste and see that God is good. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, he says, I want you to know him more, not know about him. Do you know about this God? Or do you know this God? Have you experienced this God? For all of us, we have to come from a place of hearing into a place of experience with God. Christian faith is not theoretical. It's experiential. Now, every one of us is wired differently, and God is exceedingly multifaceted. There are so many aspects to him. So when he meets with Dean and decides to have Dean have this experience, and then he meets with Nikhil and Lizzie and Celia and, and Aaron, and, and, and they're all different experiences, it doesn't matter what your experience was. Did you experience him? Because he's an experiential God. And some of us can experience him by reading the word and just having euphoric moments. And others are on and And others feel heat. And others feel fear. And others feel joy. And others feel energy. And others fall down flat as though dead because it's just. These are, these are very wide, different experiences. But the point is. I believe that all of us need to be in a place of experiencing God. It's not perfect. Because Moses moved away from the fire and he went and did some things. And then he was back up the mountain experiencing God and then back out doing things. And so there's times where we don't have those experiences and that's okay. But we cannot stay in the realm of theory. God is a God who wants to be experienced. I also find it amazing. Up until this point in the Old Testament, God has revealed himself as God, or the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a title. It's the title of God. And now God says, here's my name. You shall know me by this name, I am. We have, we have titles, professor, doctor, sir, man, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, world funny. And then someone who says, oh, please, call me Doc. Please call me 
Susan, please call me Susanna, please call me Senzo, whatever it is. What is that? It's an invitation into a relationship, isn't it? Here's my title. No, but please call me Matt. I want us to know one another. So here's God. If anyone can say, call me by my title, I think he has a right. And he says, he's my name. What? God wants to be known by name. An invitation into relationship. So he wants to be known. Turn aside, come and see me, come and experience me. Know me by name. Wow. Breaking, mind-altering God, come know me. But remember who God is. He's here to come and know. He's not a peer. He's not an equal. But he wants you to know him. But point number three, he cannot be known. Cannot be known. So Moses turns aside and he comes towards God, and what does God say? Stop. Don't come to us. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Okay? So, fire is beautiful and fire is fated. Fire is life-giving and fire is death-dealing. We come to a God of fire here. And so God's immediate presence is fatal to us. Why isn't Moses consumed? There is a sense in which Moses was stopped. But even so, he's still on holy ground. Why isn't Moses consumed? I think the answer to that is in verse 2, where God is revealed in the burning bush, it's the angel of the Lord. But then who speaks from the bush? It is the Lord. So is it the angel of the Lord, or is it the Lord? What's the answer? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's both. Now, we can double click on this and go a long time. But if you look in the Old Testament, there are multiple times when we have the angel of the Lord, and then we realize that it is the Lord. And so we have two separate characters, two separate persons who seem to be the same. And so I'm, I'm just going to quote from, what's it, the only quote from the first time. Um, so this is from an Old Testament scholar, Alec, I hope I said right, Matthew. He says this, The angel is revealed as a merciful accommodation or condescension of God, whereby the Lord can be present among a sinful people. Were he to go within himself, his presence would consume them. The angel is that mode of deity whereby the holy God can keep company with sinners. There is only one other in the Bible who is both identical with and yet distinct from the Lord. One who, without abandoning the full essence and prerogative of deity, is able to accommodate himself with the company of sinners, Jesus Christ. And so we cannot come to God, not because... I've done this and this and this, and I need to stop this. I cannot come to God, not because I haven't done these and these and these things, and I need to do those before I come to God. We cannot come to God because of the state of our hearts, and the sin that is in our hearts, the self-righteousness, the self-ishness, 
Not the pride, the arrogance, the idolatry and the worship of other things and other people. We cannot come to God with those things. Fire would consume it. And us along with it. We believe that Jesus took our sin upon himself. He took that heart condition of us and he went before God and was consumed by God on our behalf on the cross. And so the perfect justice of God, the perfect purification of God takes place and that is consumed. And the perfection of Christ is given to us that we can step into the presence of God and not be consumed. We can come into the presence of God and experience that holy fire and survive. Now, yes, it's true. There are still aspects of our lives that should be purified and should be consumed. And some of us may experience those moments of fire that is scary and painful and it hurts and it's hard. And yet there's a time when we come and find that fire to be life-giving and warm and comforting and all of those. This is the God who we serve. He is huge and category breaking and wants to be known. And as we get to know this God, it's terrifying and wonderful and purifying and scary and comforting and everything that fire is. And so the question is, does this change anything for you? Does it change anything for me? And so maybe two categories of people. Perhaps you've never turned aside to see this God. You can't. You can't know this God. But you want to know this God. In which case, I want to say Jesus has taken your sin on himself for you. If you will accept that, he will say, yes, God, take me, take all of me. And he will be consumed. He was consumed on your behalf. So that you can have the righteousness, the perfection, the purity of Jesus. And if you would accept that, just in your heart, right now, you can come to know this God. And stand before this God of fire. Perhaps you're saying, yes, no, I've done that. But I acknowledge that my experience of God has become thin. I want to experience this God afresh. I want to invite you to ask. And I believe, I believe that God is a God who answers prayers. If you say, God, I want to experience you. I want a fresh touch. I want to know you. Don't, don't come with a particular um, uh, expectation. I think you might surprise you with something else. So come saying, God, I expect to meet you, but I've got no idea what's coming up. I believe you will answer. It may not be today, but it will be. I believe it. And if you want someone to pray with you to do that, I want to invite you to do that. And I think that it would be appropriate then for us to stand and to worship. And as we worship God, it may be this category-breaking, huge God that you, we just get to say, God, you're massive. I worship you. It may be this God of fire that you come to. To worship. God may reveal himself as consuming and purifying or lo lovely, warm, wonderful, and intimate. Who knows? I want to invite us to respond to this God, but importantly, so importantly, to not leave saying, oh, 
I've had my experience, but it was nice. And the week carries on. We must say, God, if this is you, how do I do it? If this is you, what must I do? How does this change? How does this change? How does this shape me? And I encourage you on Monday to message people and to pray for them and to say, this God, what can we do? And when you get together in life groups, this God, Exodus 3, God of fire, how does this shape us? And to encourage one another and walk with one another in this journey.